Good morning. Good morning, everybody. We're like, who is this guy? As much as people have called Mike and I brothers, we're actually not the same person. So, uh, My name is Nathaniel. Um, I'm usually up here getting to worship with this awesome crew back here. Um, yeah. Really sweet time of worship today. Um, but every so often, I get the opportunity and then the guts to stand in this spot and um, just, I, I just want to say totally off topic here, um, the last time I preached was actually all the way last May, so it's been a little while, and if I'm being totally honest with you, I was feeling a little nervous about that, uh, and as I was praying this morning, God was just reminding me of, um, you know, I was, I was actually supposed to preach last fall, it was going to be a couple of weeks after we launched in this building, and if you remember, um, we had a little issue with some permits waiting to be approved, and so it got delayed got delayed again. By the third time, we knew we were going to be back at the elementary school, and so we just decided to uh, do something totally different. Very last minute, we just had a, a morning of worship and prayer. And even then, I was, I was feeling nervous because, or worried that I'd missed another opportunity to preach and, you know, had too much time gone by. And I just, I remember starting that service that morning, and I looked out and saw many of these faces that I see today and there was just something really special about that morning for me because when I looked out, I saw people who were just ready to switch things up and to pivot in their morning and to worship the Lord through song and through prayer. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a really good day. And so th- again, this has absolutely nothing to do with today's sermon. I just want to say I love you all so, so much. And I'm really thankful to be able to speak to you today. So thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, we are going to continue in our study of Second Timothy today. So if you don't have your Bible, there should be some hardcover uh, ones along the rows. If you are online with us and you can't find your Bible, if you're like me with kids, behind your couch, because that might be where it is. <laughs> the last week we started chapter 3, and I think this message is going to tie closely to that um, just as a helpful word of warning to us. Um, we're going to see a warning against deceptive false teachers, um, how they're most effective, then I believe that by understanding this, um, we'll see how to best prepare ourselves when we are challenged with those deceptions. You know, I I think it goes without saying that society um, has highly emphasized the outer appearance over anything deeper than that. I think we can all agree on some elements of that. I just think we get used to building our perception of things around appearance, I was talking about this uh, with Blythe the other day, and she reminded me of a story of uh, one of our first Christmases together as a married couple, and you know, you're getting to decide your own traditions, and you know, what, what do you want to have your morning be like? And so we decided that you were just, we wanted to have a real Christmas tree instead of getting a, an artificial one. Um, we have a fake one now, let's be honest. Um, but that year we were like, we're like let's, let's go all in. And so... We didn't want to just get like the last pick of the litter at the uh, uh, chain store, so we decided we went to um, a well-known, well-respected little family-owned tree place. We found this beautiful tree. It had these full branches, this rich green color, and it had a price that absolutely matched all of that. Um, but man, they, they sold it to us. So we got it set up. We took it home, got it set up, and got it how we wanted it. It looked, it looked so good. And it was not very long after that, it just stopped soaking up any water completely. And we were just like being rained down with needles everywhere. It was bad. It was really bad. And we knew that this tree just, there was no saving it at this point. But it wasn't until we took that tree out and we took it outside and the light of day really hit it where we could see the deepest parts of this tree. And what was revealed was that the, this beautiful, vibrant green of these tree branches were actually covering something very unhealthy. So we had been led to believe that this tree was healthy based off of this beautiful outside appearance, but what was lurking underneath was something just dead and covered in this false reality that was put on, and we bought into it. We invested in it, believing what we saw and what was told to us. Our church, when it comes to our faith, When it comes to the matters of our heart and our knowledge of God, we cannot let that happen. 
We cannot be deceived like that. We must avoid this trap at all costs. We must stand our guard against deceivers who they'll trade lies for your devotion. And then we're going to see here that Paul says we must avoid these people and these kind of teachers that are around us. Because what Paul is seeing is having become such a problem in the church and its people as he gives this word of warning that really still applies very much to us today is our need to recognize and take precaution toward those people in our lives who claim to speak God's truth um, while in reality they're just hollow and they're lacking any true connection to the power of God. So our big point this morning, you can write down in your notes, is avoid people who avoid God's truth. Avoid people who avoid God's truth. And we're going to just kick things off in verse 5 of chapter 3 today. And we'll just read that one just to get, a, get ourselves started. So it says in verse 5, Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Now I know there may be some of you that see, see a verse like that, see a call like that, and just maybe bristle just a little bit. Because the idea of being told not to engage with someone who's lost seems counter to the gospel that we're called to share, right? You know, the, the Bible calls for us to love our neighbor and to then pray for our enemies. But if we, as Christ followers, are to grow in our knowledge of God's truth, it's so important for us to grow in our discernment of what is true and what is not, and then understand the distinction that Paul is making here. And so to, to get a little deeper here, that our first point this morning is empty religion must be avoided. Empty religion must be avoided. So here's the important distinction I think we can make. Is that these are the people who are outwardly professing their religion. You know, they're, they're professing this faith while their heart is really just revealing actions that are telling a different story. Their fruit or really their lack of, reveals this truth. That though their ungodly behavior, through their ungodly behavior, they show the lie that they're truly living. They've put on this overall appearance, but there's really just no evidence of the power of God in their lives. And it's, it's not only that there's no evidence, but we're actually seeing an active denial of the power of God. So they may show off some you know, pseudo-reformation just to, to put it on, but there's just no clear indication of any regeneration or transformation of the gospel that's seen in the life of someone who's experienced the power of God and his truth. See, the essence of ungodliness, it comes from within. And then it comes out in our behavior. It's seen. But those who profess God, who claim spiritual or religious knowledge, the truth is they don't necessarily possess a relationship with God or his righteousness. See, true Christianity, it can't be hidden. It's, it's not this private religion without, without any public effect. If it's true, it will be seen. I think this was an inaccurate view uh, of the false teachers of Paul's day, and this theory, I think, still finds acceptance in modern times. And it's like that phrase, you know, have their cake and eat it too, right? You've heard that one. You know, they want to be seen as religious, but have their sins at the same time. Paul gives uh, a little clarity here um, in 1 Corinthians 5. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the wor this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Pretty strong stance we're taking here, but we're seeing that those that call themselves by the Christian name and make a show of religion, however, 
however likely their form of godliness is, they're simply just denying the power of it. They take on this form which should and would bring along with it its power, yet they divide what God has joined together. They'll assume the form of godliness just simply to avoid disapproval or to put a show on, but they will not submit to the power of it to take away their sin. Sadly, men may be very bad and very wicked under a profession of religion. They may be lovers of themselves, as we saw in great examples last week, yet present themselves to have this form of godliness. But a form of godliness is very different than the power of it. Men may have one, but be wholly deprived of the other, and they actually deny this power. That is dangerous. And so, from these things, from these people, we as Christians are to withdraw from, Paul says. This is a true separation from those whose hearts are hardened in their opposition to God's truth and who seek to deceive you. So avoid those who have clearly rejected the effectiveness of God's power in their lives because they have no conception of the gospel as any kind of regenerating force. What it really is, is it's simply a moral lip service only to maintain some kind of cloak of respectability. But this is important for us to understand as Christ followers. It's important to know when we should engage and work toward reformation of faith and when there is a true deception that must be kept at a distance for our protection of our own faith and for our spiritual life, we, we must be aware of these. So he said, empty religion must be avoided, so be gospel prepared when deception comes. So when you see these pro- professing Christians and churches just brazenly pursuing the love of self, love of money, and love of pleasure instead of the love of God, let's not be fooled. Don't be taken in by their messages of comfort. Be prepared for this. And so that also means don't read their books, don't go to their seminars, don't watch their TV specials or listen to their podcasts, don't follow them on Twitter, let alone join their churches, don't give them money to support their false teaching. We need to take this stance. Because if a man does not stand here and preach Jesus Christ as the only cure for sinful hearts who are under God's judgment and instead then just promotes you know, how to use God to achieve worldly and per, uh, personal success, Paul says to avoid them, to stay away. So Paul, as we continue on here, he's going to uh, lay out some defining factors just to help us uh, more clearly see these tactics um, and avoid those who avoid and deny God's word. And so um, we're going to look at those uh, in this, this passage here. It's those who actively use deception and manipulation to drive away the hearts of those in need of the gospel. So we're going to continue on here in verse 6, if you read with me. It says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passion always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So our second point this morning is this, empty religion will always have those who propagate it. Like, propagate, okay. Um, first of all, if you... If, if you haven't been up to my office before, like, what are you waiting for? Like, come say hi sometime. I would love to meet you. Uh, so often these Sunday mornings, I'm bouncing around getting stuff ready. So just, like, stop me, trip me a little bit, and say hello, because I would love to get to know, uh, to know you if I haven't yet. But if you have been up to my office, uh, you've probably seen my many plants that I have. Um, I am a wannabe plant man, uh, lacking any of the knowledge or green thumb to, to be super successful at it. Um, I have not quite reached the uh, Miss Joe McCullough plant mastery yet. She brings dead things to life and, and green things. What I do have is I have heart. 
and I love my little plants, though my money tree is not doing well. And I'm sure I won't explain this like fully, but I'll do my best here. So in the horticulture world, very fancy, um, propagation is the process of biologically reproducing plants from the parent stock. So essentially it's just you know, creating and multiplying new plants from the original. And we see that in churches, right? Um, through church planting. You know, we take a part of the church body and send them out to plant a church in a new area. And that's something that we as a, a church here uh, are praying and hoping to see in the life of this church as God raises up new leaders and men who answer that call. Uh, we are uh, absolutely anticipating the Lord to do that and, and excited about that idea. And I hope that you are too. Of course... For all the healthy examples of this, you will see this process done with unhealthy leaders in unhealthy environments. And really, if you look at it, in most of these instances, this is born out of just a desire to amass power or influence and grow a following that's going to cater to the leader's personal desires. Be mindful, because these teachers are crafty. I mean, think, think about it like the, the serpent in the garden. You know, they're isolating and pointing us toward our greatest fears, our insecurities, or our sinful desires, and all of this without bringing people to Jesus. They're usually great communicators. Um, they're very charismatic. However, their intentions just simply are not godly. So we must be careful of the deceptive influences of false teachers because you, you'll find that there's, there's often a reason that crowds follow them. So be careful when you see too much power given to a spiritual leader, because these teachers, they often can gain control over people's money, their marriages, their future, and so often spiritual abuse becomes common. And I think this is one of just the many benefits of having a plurality of elders like we do here at Harvest, just to be faithful to the biblical structure and to maintain accountability within the leadership of our church. That's so great. And we have great elders too. But we must be careful to avoid abusive ministries. Because if you look at cults in church history, you see how so many of them began with a form of godliness without any of its power. You may hear all that and you wonder, like, how could, how could anyone possibly be duped into following some kind of crazy hypocritical leader like Paul's describing here? So let's, let's just examine those, those verses, and I think we'll see at least you know, four explanations as to how this happens and how they propagate this false religious experience. The first one we'll, we'll look to is, says they propagate empty religion by playing on felt needs. Paul says they creep into households and capture weak women. And I just want to stop there because I think it's important to note that there are many examples in the Bible of Paul highlighting and celebrating women in the church. If you look at Romans 16 alone, Paul actually mentions no less than 10 women who are faithfully serving. And he highlights them strongly. So we are safe to believe that Paul is, is not just generalizing all women as weak and gullible. And I point that out because if there is any message that is contrary, this is a perfect example of false teachers' attempts at deceiving the vulnerable by distorting the truth of God's word. In fact, the, uh, the Greek word Paul is using here is not for women in general um, of his day, but that it's, it would be for those that you would deem silly, if that helps at all, I don't know. But we see here, we're looking at a very specific description of a very specific type of woman who he saw as being susceptible to false teachers. And really, this seems more an indictment and warning of the tactics used by these deceivers and sellers of false religions and false truth. We also understand culturally that women spent far more time at home than men, so they likely had a higher chance of being exposed to corruption that would infiltrate the household. These false teachers we see prey on these women's vulnerabilities, likely promising healing 
you know, restoration of the family, financial prosperity, um, in an attempt to heal their hurts and meet their felt needs, these women are led into spiritual captivity. So ladies, I actually hope that through this you see the value your places in this gospel work. That Paul is warning against these deceivers targeting women, seeing that uh, often the access of deception into a home can actually be guarded by a woman who is sure of the knowledge of God's word. That's pretty awesome. Paul knew that these dangers were in the world in his day and would be increasingly present before the return of Jesus. However, it does seem like he is especially concerned that these dangers would find themselves present within our very own homes. When you think about, it's tragic enough uh, to have this perversion of God's word in the world, of course, but it's certainly another level of danger and brokenness to allow that into our homes. This false teacher was enrapturing these women who then might be led to believe or give their attention to anything just simply if it's been packaged the right way, which I think is honestly still pretty relevant for us, right? We are so often bound by influence. Influence of culture, trends, feelings, societal pressure, desire for inclusion and identity, we're influenced by the gradual desensitizing of our minds and hearts. When you talk about you know, things creeping into our homes, just think about the things um, that you once found like, salacious in media or words that you were certain that you would never say or jokes you once found inappropriate, beliefs you never thought you would hold. Now, where are you now with those things? You know, have you seen the slow creeping into your mind and your household? Have your truths shifted? Has politics on either side, have they altered your perception of Scripture instead of God's Word being the filter with which you see the world? These deceptions, this shifting of thought, it doesn't always hit us over the head with its recklessness. No, we see that It sneaks in, it creeps, it slithers into our consciousness when we open even a crack in the door. So when Paul calls for us to avoid, he means exactly that. Next thing I'd highlight is they propagate empty religion by enticing with sinful desires. So Paul says that these women are being targeted and led astray by various passions. So implications here are that these false teachers are taking advantage of women who are just already deep in personal struggle. So this gives us some insight into the source of the power through which these deceivers are acquiring uh, this devotion over these women. they, They may have some outward profession of faith, but they weren't living this life out, and they weren't seeing the fruit of their faith instead, simply just giving in to their passions. So they're possibly lured with the assurance that they could still call themselves Christians without giving up any of their sinful passions. So they reasoned with their emotions and they ignored any self-control. It's an easy trap for us to fall into. In fact, it's highly encouraged often in this world, right? But the more we allow our sinful desires to take hold, the more we open ourselves to deceptions and spiritual corruptions, it fractures the once fortified walls of our hearts and through these cracks we create, we then invite into our lives a false understanding of who God is. And the enemy will take every opportunity to take advantage of this. Uh, The next thing I would highlight is they uh, propagate empty religion by manipulating the desire for learning. So Paul's description uh, shows these targeted women as they're always learning and then never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, just constantly seeking. And we would say that this knowledge of truth refers to a saving knowledge of Christ. But then the learning offered by these deceptive men appealed to the pride of these women. They're enticed 
by the idea that if they followed the false teacher, then they would finally have the knowledge they were seeking. You'll often find uh, cult leaders or those that are uh, in ministries that are, are, are really just deceiving. Um, they just jump from one perceived truth to another to fit their personal needs, right? You know, they've tried this, they've tried that, with only really a vague understanding of any one thing. It's whatever's popular, whatever will draw people in. They may have a desire to learn, but they've yet to come to any understanding and simply and really no acceptance of the Bible. So they are vulnerable to teachers that, they, that say they found this new revelation. You ever hear that? Somehow some guy in 2022 has found a new revelation of the Bible that no one else has discovered. That's amazing. But it really just has no biblical foundation if you really dig barely even a little bit. Last thing I would highlight in this uh, part of the passage is they propagate empty religion by opposing the truth with counterfeit results. So uh, Paul mentions these two names uh, in this passage. The names Janes and Jambres, they're not directly mentioned in the Old Testament. However, if you look, um, there's actually old Jewish tradition uh, that says that these were the sorcerers who opposed Moses when he went to Pharaoh's court. So it's implied Paul is referring to uh, possibly the two sorcerers that mimicked you know, the miracles Moses performed. Remember, they, they turned their staff into serpents, they turned water into blood, and then brought forth frogs. But then you see that when it came time for the miracles of the gnats and uh, some of the subsequent miracles, the magicians failed to imitate them. Jewish tradition also holds that they pretended to then convert to Judaism in order to subvert Moses' divine assignment to liberate Israel from Egypt, and that they helped in making and worshiping the golden calf while Moses was on Mount Sinai, and that they were then slaughtered by the Levites along with the other idolaters. And just that possibility is consistent with Paul's warning about false leaders who corrupt the church from within. Just as those two men opposed Moses and his teaching, so these men in Ephesus also opposed the truth of the gospel. And that was Paul's warning. So while we we may not see their direct reference in Scripture in those instances, we can assume that Paul uses these names knowing that the people of Ephesus will understand the cultural significance of such a statement based on known tradition and storytelling. In the same way today, false teachers often accuse and oppose godly teachers, and they try to create a rebellion in churches and ministries. They'll go to any lengths possible. I mean, you'll see false teachers will point to uh, reports of statues and paintings with tears of blood, um, the profile of Jesus on grilled cheese, and sell it for thousands of dollars. That actually happened like lots of thousands of dollars. So I'm just saying to you now, if you have that extra cash that you're willing to spend on a grilled cheese, I will make you all the grilled cheeses you want. I'll put any little shape and figure on it. You just, you you reallocate that money somewhere else. It was $28,000, just so you know. Yeah. (laughs) But people will cling to anything that they deem miraculous, regardless of its legitimacy just to hold on to something that makes them feel anything. The church, if we reject Scripture as our rule and standard of faith and practice, then we can accept anything and we'll be led astray. This is what many have done, sadly, in the church. They accept things that have no affirmation in Scripture and then make themselves and those they teach vulnerable to deception. Paul says that the false teachers oppose the truth and are corrupted of the mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And the word for disqualified, it's adokimos. Um, It was used when metals that did not pass the test of purity were discarded. 
It was also used for just counterfeits of various sorts. So the fact that men were rejected in regards to the faith makes clear that Paul was speaking of individuals within the church who claimed to be Christians but just were not. As with those in the church who have a form of godliness but deny the power, these false teachers are not born again. For being really honest, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're either deceived about their own salvation or more likely intentionally deceiving others for their own gain. And really, since they're not born again, they, they can't truly understand Scripture, let alone teach it. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So these false teachers, they can only pervert true doctrine. They deny the inerrancy of Scripture. If you look often, they'll, they'll deny the creation of the world through God's spoken word. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny a literal resurrection and the miracles of Scripture. Kind of a big deal. They accept and teach revelation outside of Scripture, denying its sufficiency. They are men and women of corrupt thinking. Often, uh, cults and false teachers, they'll offer the, re the results that are promised to believers in the Bible, but they offer them without bringing them bringing people to the cross and to faith in Christ. They miss such a huge moment. Many of today's prominent, prominent religions, they'll offer uh, the idea of you know, harmonious relationships, even healings and success, but they do not proclaim Jesus as Lord, and for that alone, we should stay far away. You know, I say all this, but let's not be too discouraged, okay? You know, there's threat of deception, and there's a danger of those who would manipulate God's word, but we do see some hope in Paul's words here. So finishing up the passage this morning in verse 9, he says, But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men, speaking of the sorcerers. So here's some good news, our final point this morning. Empty religion will not prevail. Amen. Good news. Paul's given some comfort and assurance to his friend and disciple, Timothy. As great as the perversity already occurring was, he says it will not be so forever. To the human eye, the state of things here laid out by Paul, it would seem pretty dire. Something concerning was absolutely happening in the community of Ephesus. But Timothy should not feel an eternal dread because this evil, this corruption, would only have its foothold for a time. It would only grow to a certain point. And all these centuries, example after example of this, what you see is it's really just it's the same foe under a new face wreaking havoc on the church but it has never advanced to the point of utter destruction. And then also after all these centuries, we see examples after examples of the church still being full of faith and life in spite of these discouragements, in spite of the perpetual presence of these deceitful men. Because they can only hide their hypocrisy for a while because false teaching, it provides no power to live a holy life, so they'll, they'll eventually have to be exposed. It leads to nothing. And you often see, sadly, at some point, you'll hear how these teachers embezzled money. Uh, they were unfaithful in marriages. They committed spiritual abuse. And like these sorcerers that Paul mentions, their inability to produce the true works of God, a holy life, lasting freedom for their followers, it eventually becomes clear. In uh, Matthew 7, Christ said this, 
He says, we will recognize them by their fruits, and that diseased trees will in time bear bad fruit. So Paul's comments seem to refer to their false teaching and not just the false teachers, which is good. Their error is not going to get very far. Yes, error may spread. It may be popular for a time, but it will not endure. In the end, it will be exposed, and the truth is sure to be redeemed. This is a, a clear lesson of church history. We see countless heresies throughout history have emerged and some have seemed threatening, but today we see that they have not stood the test of, of time and have not endured because God has preserved his truth in the church. Of course, Paul doesn't mean that these evil men will cease to plague the church because in just a couple of verses we'll, we'll see that he says, that they will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Rather, he means that God will only allow them to go so far. That there, yes, there will be some victims, but Jesus Christ promised to build his church. So while this promise should give us hope, knowing that God's truth will prevail, the fact that there are those in danger of being swept up by this deception along the way. It should cause in us an urgency to fortify our faith, to be confident in the truth of God's word, and then to share the gospel message with those vulnerable around us. Uh, There was, uh, between 1954 and 1978, we're gonna do a little history lesson here. I was a history major for one semester in college, (laughs) and quickly not anymore because I could not read that many books that quickly. Anyway, here's our history lesson here. Um, There was a religious, I say religious, organization that existed called the People's Temple. You might have heard of this one. Founded in Indiana by Reverend Jim Jones, and if those glasses didn't tip you off, a little questionable. But their message, uh, it combined some elements of Christianity but uh, also had uh, elements of communist and so- socialist ideology. And uh, this, this started to grow uh, at the height of segregation. And so uh, Jones was actually able to grow his membership through um, desegregating services, which was a huge deal. Um, he, he advocated uh, for caring for the homeless and fed um, communities in their area. And he s- spoke out against racial division. Those sound great, right? Estimates put the organization to have around three to 5,000 members at its peak. Of course, they claimed much higher. But, uh, towards the end, uh, 1,000 members traveled to settle in Guyana in South America to create for themselves a communal socialist utopia, uh, as they say, far from the evils of capitalism. That was their motivation. All the while, uh, their church was accused in the press of financial fraud, Um, physical mistreatment of members, and abuse of children. And it got so bad, family members uh, that were not involved urged uh, Congressman Leo Ryan uh, to visit the settlement, which was aptly named uh, Jonestown after their revered leader, so a lot of humility there. It was reported that, for the most part, the visit was pretty textbook, um, but they did have a couple of people who were members slipped them secret messages uh, to the congressman and their convoy just because they wanted to leave, because they feared for their safety. So while returning to the airport, uh, the congressman and many others in his convoy were assassinated by Jonestown members out of fear for possible negative reports he would bring back to the US. And you may be familiar with this last part. In the end, Uh, Residents joined together in a mass rite of murder-suicide in which they were either shot or took poison-laced drinks, something they had actually talked about, planned out, and practiced before just in case. In the end, over 900 men, women, and children died that day. And any remaining members that had stayed in the U.S. 
uh, formally disbanded quickly after that. There are a lot of books and articles written on the subject, and some of them even doing their best just to argue for the original efforts of the members you know, in their, their work towards racial equality and caring for the poor. But I would dare to say that your best efforts were never rooted in anything but deception if it ends in nearly 1,000 losing their lives for nothing. And actually, when you look into this a little deeper, the social aspects of this feel far more sinister when the views of the leader stemmed from a belief and oftentimes self-proclaimed belief to either be a prophet sent by God or just to be Jesus himself. One article actually put it this way that I thought summed it up so well. It said, Jones offered safety and the only escape from the outside world. That by lacing together facts and deceptions, he created a world of horror that could only be escaped with his help and guidance. Jones was the answer to all their troubles, the savior that would bring them life. And the message of racial equality and love that recruited so many spiritually hungry people actually turned into a power-imbalanced, racist, hierarchical class structure that they obviously now classify as a cult. This is a sad, sad story for so many reasons. We see hurting people in need of something, just something to believe in, who were deceived and manipulated into total destruction. And this is why it's important and vital for us to prepare ourselves to better discern false teachers, to align our thinking with God's, and to help us in decision-making that affects our spiritual health. So before we close out today, I think it's good just to share some practical ways to help us do that. The first I would highlight is we must examine our salvation. Now, I've known uh, people who, you know, especially those that uh, became a believer at a young age, um, you know, they've gone through stages of their life where they, they ask that question like, oh, wait, am I really saved? You know, they, which often comes from a place of really needless worry, you know, that feeling of like, I just want to get resaved just in case, you know, I don't know. And so if you are in that category, please find reassurance But the Bible tells us that we can be sure of our faith if it is a genuine proclamation that nothing can separate us from God. There are instances, however, uh, that I think it is beneficial for us to examine our faith and confirm that our salvation is authentic through the evaluation of our spiritual health. 2 Corinthians actually tells us to examine ourselves and to put our faith to the test. Now, I'm I'm not saying, you know, go out today and put yourself in a dangerous, sinful uh, situation just to, like, prove yourself. But different kind of tests that I think that we can take. If you do not see Christ in you, this may be a red flag, a warning for yourself just to seek guidance from trusted sources, from your pastor, from your elders, for discipleship, for a deeper understanding of salvation. I think you can learn better discernment of others by practicing self-discernment. And so you can ask yourself some of these questions. I'll just rattle these off. Ask yourself, am I demonstrating new life and new spiritual affections? Do I genuinely love God? Do I love his people? Do I love his word? Am I obeying him? Am I decreasing in sin and growing in righteousness? Has my profession of faith changed my life, or is it just merely a profession? Because if your profession hasn't changed you at all, then maybe you have the form of faith without its saving power in your life. You need to know that. Because yes, hear me, a true believer will will fall into sin. They will fail, absolutely. But he will not practice a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. The general direction of his life is very different from the world because a true believer practices righteousness and loves God's people. 
The second thing we can do practically is we must examine our love for Christ. And uh, Mike actually went through this premise, I think, in really great detail last week. So I encourage you, go back, use what you learned as a help to assess where your heart is at in affection for God. So ask yourself, do I love myself more than Christ, which then results in sin being abundant or persistent? Because if Christ is not your first love, what is taking first place in your life? The last thing that we can highlight this morning is we must examine everything through Scripture. So ask yourself, are my influences teaching and preaching from the Bible, or is Scripture used just to support personal feelings? You know, are my experiences biblical or just something that feels good or satisfies a personal need? Scripture says, God's word equips us for every good work, right? So if it doesn't pass this test, it should be discarded. If we draw near to God and his word, we can withstand the waves of false doctrine and deceptive teachers. But the only way we can examine all things through scripture, the only way to recognize false teaching is to deeply know the ultimate teacher, How can you possibly discern what is true of God's word unless you take time to know what God's word says? Open your Bible. It's okay if it gets a little crease in it. When we see the enemy of deception attempt to creep into our lives, into our families, into our marriages, we must be diligent. We must know our Savior so intimately that we have the power to instantly recognize what is good and what must be avoided at all costs for our protection. To be healthy, uh, to make wise decisions spiritually, to best put steps into practice, we must be mindful and on guard with what we allow into our hearts and our minds. And as I said in the beginning this morning, avoid people who avoid God's truth. We must, we must. You know, this passage of 2 Timothy is played out in so many ways through the tragic story of the People's Temple and so many other stories, big and small. We see a false teacher preying on people in need, making promises of a better life rooted in the foundation of lies and deception. And if Jesus was ever even part of the message, man became the ultimate savior. And just as Paul ended his message, we see that their folly will be plain to all and not get very far, but not before leaving a wave of death and destruction in its path. Not before deceiving and destroying the lives of so many. Not before corrupting and warping the minds of those that didn't hear the true saving power message of the gospel of Jesus. So if you're here today and you recognize in yourself that you have allowed deceit to creep into your home and your heart. Here is the good news for you. It is not too late. Do you hear that? It is not too late to move past merely having the appearance of, God, of a godly life, but to live, deeply live a godly life. To live out the power of God's truth. So hear me today. Here is the truth plain and simple. God made everything, including you and me. His main purpose in creation was to bring him worship and reflect his glory through us loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Instead of this, we've sinned against our loving creator and rebelled against him. God has said that he will righteously and lovingly judge unrepentant sinners. Here's the big part. But God, being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love and grace, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of man, to live as a man. Jesus bore the eternal judgment upon the cross as he satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus, though perfectly sinless, died a sinner's death in the place of sinners, 
raising from the dead, he fulfilled our punishment. This glorious transaction then occurs as we put our faith in Jesus. Being dead to our sin, we are no longer in opposition to God, but raised to a new life, we are called sons and daughters, covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. And we depend on him for forgiveness and turn away from sin and receive Christ Jesus as Lord. That is the truth and the power of God. So church, take heed of Paul's warning. Don't open your hearts to false teachings. Don't allow yourselves to be susceptible to people who actively deny the reformative, transformative power of Jesus Christ. Know that in Jesus, we will see the enemy flee. We will see victory in our lives. So trust in him above all else. Church, will you stand with me? Let's pray and we'll sing a song of response. Father, we, we thank you for how you have laid out for us in your word just clear examples and tools for us as we engage with this world to help us discern what is beneficial to us, what is good for us in our pursuit of you. Lord, help us to know you better so that we would have the confidence to distance ourselves from teaching and influence that would drive us further from you. Lord, we know that the only way we can best discern what is true is to know you. So God, I ask that you would draw us to you, that our desires would be for nothing but you, God. Open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. Open our hearts and minds to believe in and receive the power of your word in our lives. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what your word means for us. God, we love you. We just thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.